Hello, everybody. Yes, it is I, and I is him. This is The Boat Show. Uh, this is going to be the home for some of my sports takes, takes about the Rockets, the Texans, the Astros, um, all the NBA, MLB, and NFL you can get. Plus, me and Booker T sometimes will be on here talking about the MMA world, the boxing world. I'll be on here giving wrestling takes all the time, and this is the place where you can find them. So it's not like the Schmodown Rundown where I'm talking about movie trivia. It's not like the Brad Gilmore Show where I'm interviewing your favorite celebrities. It's not like the Hall of Fame where Booker T and I are debating the world of MMA and boxing. And it's not like Back to the Future, the podcast. This is completely different. This is the boat show where you're going to find out what the boat Brad Gilmore thinks. So today on the show, we're talking to Roosh Williams. These are some segments that I did with him because uh, I'm covering the Rockets this year for ESPN i 5 here in Houston. So I wanted to talk to Roosh Willie about the Rockets and what we saw from their opening game ahead of their second game of the season against the New Orleans Pelicans. Check it out. Well, guys, I told y'all we're going to have somebody special on the show to talk about the Rockets. I go back years and years and years with this man, and he is now a an unofficial, official Rockets expert. Uh, please welcome to the show the one and only Roosh Williams. Roosh, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm uh, I'm feeling good. What's going on with you? Thanks for thanks for having me. No, I'm excited to talk to you. We, we've been talking about we've been talking about talking for quite some time. I feel like <laughs> about the Rockets, and I felt like coming out of Game One. You know, now that we're out of the preseason, we're seeing the Rockets in full swing. It was it was a good start or a good time to reach out to you and see what you know what your thoughts were, man. There was there was so much. I think that whenever Russell Westbrook was officially traded to Houston, I, I think that that's when I really was checking out what you had to say a lot because I was like, okay, Roosh is a historian of of the Rockets, and I really wanted to know what you thought of that trade, and and I remember texting you about it because I was sure that they weren't getting rid of CP3. I don't know how you felt, but I felt like they were not getting rid of CP3, and he was going to be the one-two with James this season. Is that how you felt? That is how I felt. I mean, I, I thought that that was pretty much locked in because Maurice said so, um, and I know that you can't always put stock in what people may say in a public interview, but, you know, after all the controversy that happened um, and all the rumors and the articles, you know, about Chris Paul and Harden having a rift. And then Maury went on air multiple times um, on reputable shows and squashed it, you know, explicitly squashed it. And so I thought, okay, there's no way, you know, that we're going to trade CP. And then obviously we did. And, you know, you can go back and look at my comments when the trade went down. I hated it. Um, I don't feel that way at the moment. Um, obviously we have a, a, an incredibly small sample size to look at with respect to Russell Westbrook in a Rockets uniform. But, um, I think that there are ways to make it work. I think there's going to be pros and cons. And I think ultimately the pros may weigh the cons out. I do think people, uh, preemptively wrote Chris Paul off. I think CP is going to have a good year. Um, I think he changed his diet and his physical regimen. And I think that that's going to go a long way to, you know, him just continuing to be an elite point guard. I think there's still going to be injury concerns with him. And so for that reason and for other reasons that we can get into later, um, you know, I'm happy with Westbrook. But I think the main problem that I have with these Rockets, and we can continue to get into this, is uh, uh, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of fed up with the stubborn approach that Dan Tony has been taking. Yeah, I, I saw you I saw you tweeting about this last night and and uh you know, I've always really liked Mike D'Antoni's style of offense. Obviously, I think it's what catapulted the Rockets to that Western Conference Finals when we were the 65-win team. I think it was, you know, him uh, letting James and, 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 and Chris and running the D'Antoni offense. And 
last season, it, it didn't have the same magic as the one prior, but we were still contenders. We were still in the race. What what stuck out to you? Is it the fact that he he runs the short bench? He only has six or seven guys that he ever goes to? What about D'Antoni last night really bothered you? So one, yeah, yes, that, the rotation, just the fact that, you know, you see other teams using guys that Mike D'Antoni would never use, um, and they use them successfully, right? Like a guy like Pat Connaughton, um, off, off the bench from Milwaukee last night, even in the playoffs last year. Uh, I can't even remember the names of some of the guys, but guys like Jarebko, uh, Quinn Cook, Steve Kerr would use. Um, you know, just guys like that that were in, important, like in, a, in an important game six, closing the Rockets out with those guys, you know, and you would never see that from Mike D'Antoni. Instead, he's going to play his horses 35, 36 minutes. You know, he played Harden 36 minutes last night. He played P.J. Tucker 38 minutes last night. Um, and, you know, I get that to some extent, but you're going to have to learn how to trust your guys, right? I mean, if you're not able to do that, they're obviously going to be gassed by the end of the season. And in addition to that, you're not going to get the development that you want out of these guys so that you can trust them, right? I mean, it's kind of like a, a circular – kind of circular logic right if you don't trust them they're not going to perform so then when you need them to perform you don't trust them so they're not going to perform right it just kind of goes in a circle and you know if you look at the minutes distribution for the bucks last night they had one two three four five they had 10 guys play 15 minutes or more okay and the rockets had seven um yeah. you know and so the only guy that got 15 minutes or more outside of the trusted core six that D'Antoni goes to uh, was Ben McLemore, right? And so you're just not going to, in my opinion, you're not going to maximize your level of success with that. You're going to have to get contributions from the other guys. In addition to that, my issue with D'Antoni is just the stubbornness in terms of his offensive approach, you know? I mean, when you start blowing leads late, right, like you've probably seen all the discussions on Twitter and yeah. on the internet about the mid-range and efficiency and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of merit to it, and a lot of it's right. But, you know, when you go hot in the first half and build a 16-point lead, that's great. And it looks awesome. But then on the flip side of that, when you go, I think it was 4 of 22, something to that effect. I know at one point we were 12 of 24 from three, and they finished uh, 16 of 46. So 16 of 48. Yeah. Oh, 16 of 48. You're right. Yeah. Right. So, so they went 4 of 24 to end. Okay, so that's 1 of 6, whatever the math on that is, less than 20%. Right. So like it's going to look good in the first half when it's working. Of course, it's going to look good when it's working. But what people don't account for is that, I mean, it's a coin flip, right? I mean, it's the NBA. There are some times where you're just going to miss shots. And then obviously, if you look at the context of the game, you have guys like Eric Gordon, who he's missing, you know, one shot, missing another shot. And they're relatively open shots. And then he wants to find his shot. So he starts forcing the three all while you are collapsing. Right. So I guess my point is, I feel like D'Antoni has maximized what we do offensively. He's instilled a nice approach. Um, but the unwillingness, you know, to take easy points and to, to program, like I, I've been saying this a lot on Twitter, we have intentionally schemed out the mid-range shot. And that's a shot that James Harden used to be absolutely elite at. You know, his little spin move at the free throw line and kind of fade away. I mean, he, he, he can be lethal from the mid-range, from the post-up spot, even if he's not shooting from that spot, because he can do so much more. But when you don't scheme to have your players ever take that shot, and as a matter of fact, when you overtly tell the media and the public, like, hey, we're not shooting that shot, then guess what? The defense no longer has to account for that space, right? The efficiency works both ways. You want to be efficient on offense, but you also want to be efficient on defense. So if you know as a defensive player, and more so as a defensive team, 
if you know, hey, these pockets of space on the court do not have to be accounted for because the Rockets ain't shooting it, well, guess what? Your job as a defense just became a lot easier. And given what I'm saying, we still have a prolific offense when you look at the numbers and all that stuff. But what the numbers don't account for is when you start breaking down, you know, um, and when you blow a 16-point lead. So those are my main issues with Dan Tony. Um, and then also his his uh, unwillingness to make the right substitutions in the rotations, right? So last night, uh, Giannis goes out of the game with five or six minutes left. Rockets have a prime chance to make a comeback. Um, but what happens instead is Brooke Lopez posts P.J. Tucker up, I think maybe two, three, four times, got buckets, and then you have to send a double team. And then you leave a, uh, mid-range shots open for guys like Pat Connaughton and Ersan Ilyasova, and we ultimately got shredded by it and we lost again. Right, so his inability or his unwillingness to, you know, substitute out of that situation, you know, coaches are always going to want to impose their way, and I think that there's this kind of mantra of not bending to the other team and not, you know, not matching your roster up to fit the other team, and I just kind of think that that entire mantra and approach is BS. If you look at round two against Golden State last year, Steve Kerr kind of tinkered with his lineup specifically to match up with what we were doing, and it worked, and they beat us. Right, so I mean. They're, they're I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, 100. percent And 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 I think that a lot of there's a lot of criticism you can't say about D'Antoni. It, to me, it's always been his minutes distribution to especially his starters. He just runs them into the ground. I mean, for PJ Tucker to be playing 38 minutes and be trying to you know at least 32 of them be on Giannis, uh, he was just gassed. He was so tired. Uh, so were all the guys. And I and I don't know why. I understand Tyson Chandler is a what a 19 year guy now or a 20 year guy. One of the two. He's been in the league forever. But you got to give Capella a little bit more more breathing room. I, I think that Capella started to break down toward the end of that game, and and I and so did a lot of the guys. And I just think that you're right in the sense of he needs to sub some more guys out. Think situationally when it comes to those games in you know late quarter situations. I mean, when you're in the fourth quarter, I think the Bucks scored something like 39 points in the fourth quarter. Some, something crazy. Um, I, I I just think that. You, you have to be able to adapt, and, and that's what some of the good coaches are. And I think, though, this was – let me see if you agree with this. Do you think that this was Dan Tony's way of saying, okay, let me on game one against a contending team in the East, let me run it the way I've always ran it and see what works and what doesn't work. So, therefore, now I know with Russ and James what I can do going into you know the rest of the season. Do you think that that was his pr- approach at all, kind of like a test? Um, I think that the first half of that is correct. I think his approach was, okay, this is a big game, you know, nationally televised on our home floor against a contender, so let me do what I always do. I don't think the second part of that is true because didn't, he didn't really experiment, right? I think experimenting in that situation would have been going away from what he always does, doing, you know, the P.J. Tucker at the five small ball lineup and trusting Capella. I mean, you're, if you're paying Clint Capella, you know, whatever it is, four years, $90 million, whatever the contract is, the expectation is that he's a big player and he's going to be on the court when it matters, right? Especially, especially against a guy like Brook Lopez, who's seven feet tall. Right. You know, if you're not going to guard, if you're not going to guard him with Capella when Giannis is out of the game and the Bucks' sole game plan at this moment offensively is posting up Brook Lopez, right? If you're not going to adjust to that by putting Capella out there, then what are you doing? And furthermore, another point that I want to touch on with D'Antoni is a guy like Gary Clark, right? I think Gary Clark has been pretty underwhelming. As a rocket, we gave him guaranteed money. He's on the roster, so he's there. So you got to try to use him, you know. 
if you want him to develop, you got to give him a chance. One thing the Rockets do not have is that tweener kind of six foot eight forward with, you know, with long arms, kind of like a Kawhi, like a Paul George. And I don't mean in terms of skill set. I just mean in terms of his body, right? We don't have size. The Rockets don't have size. The closest thing to what I'm talking about is Daniel House at six seven. I don't know what his wingspan is, but it seems pretty moderate. Um, but in that situation where you have, when you need length, Try a Gary Clark. Try a Capella. But try try a Ryan be, Anderson for the, for that matter. I mean, I, mean, I don't know yeah, why else you I mean, have him on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I, like Ryan Anderson isn't great at defense, but I would I would trust him in that situation at least to try. I would at, at least, least want to see it. You know, yeah. throw him out there. He's six ten, six nine. Can he can he hold Brook Lopez for a couple possessions and also on the other end of the court stretch him out? If not, okay, take him out. Try someone else. But don't just go four possessions in a row getting grinded down with, you know, a six foot four, six foot five guy and PJ Tucker playing center, you know? I mean it's just it's just stubborn. At the end of the day, I think it's just stubborn. Well, do you think that uh do you think that, you know, this being it's it's weird to say about a coach, but this is a contract year for Mike D'Antoni. Do you think that he's gonna try to step outside of the box at, at all this season, knowing that if he doesn't produce, we could be looking for a new coach next season? So Yes, yes and no, right? I, if things, if he starts getting into hot water, if we get off to a bad start and it's looking like, you know, he's on the hot seat, then maybe he'll try to mix some things up because, you know, that's that's kind of what coaches do when they get desperate. On the flip side of that, if, you know, we start out, let's say, 18 and 7, something like that, right? Pretty good record contending. Then I think he's just going to do more of the same. And, look, I think based on what I saw, I don't want to take away from what I saw because I actually liked what I saw for the most part. Um, I thought Westbrook, was pretty pretty surprising. I mean, I, I enjoyed what he did. Um, I enjoyed his pace. I enjoyed the way he pushed the, the ball. His rebounding was awesome. There were a couple times where he jumped and got to like an incredibly high point. I think he snagged a couple over pretty big guys. I think one of them was over Giannis late in the game. Um, and so you can definitely see what he brings to the table. So I don't want to take away from the Rockets. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, we, I can see the Rockets coming out, having a good record, and things being relatively – Relatively okay, you know, but my concern is that when you get to the postseason, and, and I just want to go on the record and say I haven't, I, I have defended Mike D'Antoni. I haven't been one of those guys that has written him off for his past struggles in Phoenix because yeah, I think I contextually, you know what I'm saying? The context of it is like he's had excuses, but now I'm at the point where he's in his fourth season with the team, and I just think that offensively they've peaked and he needs to really put his focus into other areas of the floor. Um, and he's not doing it. So, yeah, I don't know. To answer your question, I, I it's going to depend on the, the team record, right? If the team is succeeding, I think he just kind of goes into his wheelhouse and keeps doing more of what he's always done. Um, if they're not succeeding, then I think he's going to mix it up. One thing that I don't think is going to change is the minutes distribution, unfortunately. Um, go By the way, go look at Warriors Clippers last night. Kawhi Leonard played, I think, 21 minutes in a blowout. But you would never see that with James Harden under Mike D'Antoni. You'd never see him playing Harden 20-something minutes. And part of that has to do with the fact that Harden loves hooping, Kawhi wants his rest. But just an example of like, look, this is kind of how you preserve over the course of 82. So, No, absolutely. Well, we got we got to talk about what, you know, more about Russell Westbrook, how we think him and Harden are going to work out. Also, what do we see happening for the Rockets this season? We're going to be back here on the show. More Roosh Williams back in a second. And we're back here with Roosh Williams. We're talking about Rockets, you know, ahead of their game with the New Orleans Pelicans going down. You know, no, uh, no Zion Williamson, but it, it's all good. I think that this uh, matchup with the Pelicans is actually going to be a great game for the Rockets. Don't you think, Roosh? I think this is going to be a game to where we go out 
we just kind of hopefully blow past them and start to really build some momentum? Um, as, I, as I always say, definitely possible. Um, on the other hand, don't forget they have Drew Holiday, who has historically been one of the better, if not one of the best, guys defending Harden. And they have Lonzo, who's also a pretty good uh, defensive guard. So, And they're athletic. And they get up and down. And I think we want to get up and down, too. So, I don't know. It could be one of those kind of shootouts. Um, could be one of those games where Harden has, has some struggles. But maybe we'll see the addition of Russ alleviate some of that some of that trouble. Yeah. Uh, what, what's going on over there? I hear, like, an alarm going off. You all good? You don't need a, a break for the building, do you? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. You can hear that? My bad. Yeah. That's a uh, – there's a bus outside. I can walk away from it. Yeah, try to do that. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens – with the New Orleans Pelicans, as we get a little bit uh, closer to that game, I, I'd like to see the Rockets pull out a victory um, against a Zion Williamson-less team. But um, let's talk about though about what what are what from last night. A lot of people were already making a lot of things and a lot of conjecture about Russ and Harden. And there was that clip watch I'm sure you saw on Twitter that everybody decided to share collectively, saying, "Oh, look, Harden and Westbrook are already getting into it." I know. Uh, last night I was on the air with Booker T, and Booker was like, "Oh, see, look, nobody likes to play with James Harden." Uh, is there any? Was that you know much to do about nothing? I mean, it looked like two friends. Like I feel like friends are able. I think they even said it on the broadcast, people who you really respect and appreciate, you can talk to like that, especially early on in the season, saying, "Hey, man, no, this is how we do it. We don't do it that way." Yeah, I think that's what it is, man. Um, especially with those two, I think they're such good friends that they have that level of comfort with each other. And just that level of respect with each other where, you know, they can they can talk like that. They can be animated like that. Maybe even disrespectful. I don't know the content of what they said, but they can they can interact like that. And, you know, it's all love at the end of the day. So I don't really I'm not reading too much into that. Um, I do think there's going to be some level of adjustment to be made for Russ, because the last time he played with Harden on the same team, obviously, you know, he wasn't the James Harden that he is today. Um and I think that's one of the things that is kind of interesting about the Rockets is that James Harden has gotten into God mode, you know? So he, I think he's very demanding of his teammates. And I think that that was kind of one of the things that started withering with CP3. I think he's, I think he started looking over and seeing CP3 kind of declining and on the, on the, in the last stages of his career. And so I think that kind of led to their clash because Harden eventually got to the point where he was like, okay, man, just give me the ball. Watch me work, you know? Um, but as far as with him and Russ goes, I mean, chemistry-wise, I don't, I don't see an issue in terms of how they were interacting or yelling at each other in that one clip that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't um, really read much into it either. Like I said, I just thought it was two guys talking. But but you, you hit on something interesting there with James Harden going into God mode. Um, you know, he, he sees CP3 there, maybe dishing him the ball a little bit um, you know, more in that first season, not so much in the second. Do you think that, do you think, let me ask you this, do you think we're going to see triple-double Westbrook this season? Do you think that that's even a possibility? And if Russell does go into that mode, triple-double, averaging the triple-double, uh, running a lot of the offense, do you think that James Harden will become a little bit slower in his offensive pace? Um. Okay, so question one, do I think that he can uh, average a triple-double? Yes, I do. He almost did last night, and it was his first game. He was three assists away. Um, do I think that think that um, he's going to probably not because I think that you know him and Harden are gonna kind of you know trade off to some degree so I don't think Russ will average a triple double but I think he'll come close to it 
just because his style of play is so, you know, he just goes, right? And when you do that, things happen. So even if he's not scoring, like the hardest part of getting the triple-double when you're at that level is the rebounds and the assists. And he always gets the, re- gets the rebounds and he always gets the assists. One thing I noticed from watching his box scores last year, um, Russell's, by the way, Russell's box scores last year, was that he, like, he'll have something like maybe 13 points, six boards, six dimes, kind of like in the middle of the third. And then all of a sudden towards the end of the game, he just picked it up, um, especially when we were, you know, heavy in like the Harden-Westbrook debate. And I was really watching his box scores closely, you know, to see if Westbrook was going to actually get the triple-double. This is before he did it three years in a row. Um, but when he was doing that, you know, there'd be a lot of games where I was like, oh, okay, you know, Russell's stats aren't that good tonight. And then I go back and I check the score. And regardless of whether Oklahoma City won the game or not, you know, Russ would end up with 20, 13, 12. And so we kind of saw that last night, right? Um, I think he scored, I don't know how many points in the fourth, but I think he scored like half of his points, close to half of his points in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, he was um, slow starting in, in, in the first half. I think he was only two for six that whole first half. So, Yeah, yeah. And then and then he picked it up in the second, um, and specifically in the fourth. And then you also see uh, he started shying for rebounds, you know. Um, he started just penetrating like with ferocity, almost like he doesn't really know where he's going, but he's penetrating anyways. And then he kicks it out. So like you can see how the rebounds will be there. You can see how the scoring will be there because we're going to need it to be there. Um, and you can see how the assists are going to be there, obviously, if the Rockets don't go for 24 in the second half or whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think he can definitely average a triple-double. I'm not sure if he will, but I think he'll be close. Question number two, um, will it slow Harden's pace down? I don't think so. I don't. Um, I think Harden's gotten to that point, like I said, where he's in God mode. And he's James Harden. I think last night um, they were calling some really weird ticky-tack offensive fouls on Harden that kind of threw his rhythm off, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, four um, fouls in the first half. Yeah, right? Like, ridiculous. So when, when that's happening and you're being refereed in that manner, it really changes a lot, and it changes your approach and your ability to do what you want to do. So, you know, despite his offensive struggles and shooting from the floor, um, I still thought Harden was awesome. I still thought the pace was great, you know. One thing that, that people, um, I'm not sure if it's been talked about enough, but look, ever since Harden's come to Houston, he has not played with a 20-point-per-game score, okay? Um, the closest, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think the closest is Dwight Howard. <clears throat> I think Dwight had like 18 or 19 a game. And then in CP3's first year, I think he had, I think it was 17 or 18, maybe close to 19. But that's the closest he's had to a 20-point-per-game score. Westbrook, on the other hand, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but if you go look at his career, uh, I don't think he scored less than 20 points in like almost 10 years, something close to that. So, you know, the Rockets finally have a 20-point-per-game guy, a legitimate 20-point-per-game guy next to Harden. So in terms of how that's going to affect Harden, you know, I think it's going to open some things up. I mean, when you play with a guy who can go get buckets, you know, it takes a lot off your shoulders and it lets you play free takes a lot of the thinking, uh, overthinking out of your game, and it just lets you play. So I think that's going to gonna open up a lot uh, for James Harden. And, and, you're, and you're right about Russell Westbrook. Since, 2000, since the 2010-2011 season, he's averaged at least 20 points a game. In that 2016-2017, he actually averaged 31 points a game, which is crazy. That was his uh, MVP season. So um, I, I, think that, I think that Russ and Harden is going to work. Uh, and it, let me ask you this. Kenny the Jet Smith said in the, in the halftime show last night, I don't know if you heard, he said that the Rockets are his pick to win the championship as constructed right now. Do you see the Rockets 
competing or winning the NBA championship this season? I mean, look, I think they're talented enough to compete for it. Um, I think they have a lot of weapons on the floor. I think they have a lot of versatility, but it's just going to depend on the matchup, man, because depending on the matchup, as you saw last night, when you get a team that's long and tall, um, how are we going to adjust to that, right? Now, the Clippers so far probably look like the, the favorite, and uh, it's only been one game, so it's really hard to tell. And we also got to see what happens when Paul George comes back. It's hard to imagine that Paul George is going to make things worse, but you never know. Um, but one thing that the Clippers don't have is size and length. You know, they have Kawhi and Paul George at 6'8", 6'9", um, probably probably good wingspans as well, but they don't have someone like Giannis. They don't have like a Brook Lopez. Um, even, a, even a guy like Chris Middleton, um, who's so prolific from three, I guess you could compare him to Paul George maybe. But So, so they, they're constructed differently, and they're probably going to be the toughest competition for Houston in terms of getting out of the Western Conference. Um, I am interested to see how the Rockets are going to match up with the Lakers because I think the Lakers have a lot of that size. I think the Lakers are deficient in other areas. We'll see. Um, but I think they can definitely contend as is. You know, I think if Mike D'Antoni was willing to make a couple tweaks to his approach and his rotations, then I would feel a lot more confident about that. Um, but look, man, you have arguably the best player in basketball, definitely one of the best players in basketball, in James Harden. You have Russell Westbrook, who is still an elite athlete and still an elite NBA player, despite his own struggles and deficiencies that he has. Um, and you have some, some pretty amazing three-point shooters to surround them with. So I think they have a shot, and I think guys like Daniel House um, are also going to help a lot in terms of playmaking. We saw him a lot doing uh, some nice things, pump faking, getting into the middle. Do you, do you, real quick, real quick, do you like do you like him starting over Eric Gordon? 1,000% yes, absolutely. No question, he should be starting. And last night should be, <clears throat> excuse me, last night should be the snapshot example as to why. Right, Eric Gordon goes four of eighteen from three. Look, Eric Gordon is his role and purpose for this team is to play stout defense and to spread the floor and to be a scorer, spark plug off the bench. Right, you do not need him to start. I don't see any advantage to him starting. He makes you smaller, shorter. He takes the ball away from Russ and James. Not that he's doing it intentionally or anything, but you know he's a shooter, man. He's, he's the kind of guy that when you give him the ball, he wants to put it up in the hole. Right, so. Bring him off the bench. You're going to, on the flip side of that, you're going to have Daniel House, who needs to play off of James Harden and who needs to play off of Russell Westbrook because that gives him space to operate, right? Um, and with his athleticism and his ability to close, to attack closeouts, especially to attack closeouts above the rim, like that's something Eric Gordon doesn't need to do. Um, and I think, I think House's handle and his passing ability is also better than Gordon. So, you know, Gordon's a scorer. And I just don't think that you need all of your scores, all of your best scores to start the game. I don't think that that's, you know, the way to go. Um, and it also, like I said, it gives you, uh, makes you taller, a bit more, gives you more length. So that leads to a bunch of different things in terms of defensive versatility, ability to rebound better. And like I said, ability to finish above the rim on the offensive end of the floor when you're attacking closeouts. So I think Daniel House should definitely start. If you look at some of the best teams, they're always going to have like that, you know, that, that piece kind of fits. He's not necessarily like the most talented player on the team. I don't want to make a chain to comparison because it's not accurate with respect to Daniel House, but something like that, right? Where you have a guy who, um, you have a guy who isn't necessarily the most talented offensive player on the floor, 
but he's there for other purposes. And in terms of spacing and in terms of how he fits and makes the other pieces kind of gel together and fit, like he's necessary. So that's what I think Daniel House is. I think he's a really great talent. Um, and in addition to everything else that I just named, he's also got the ability to, to get a step back three. He has a very quick release. Not very quick, but a pretty quick release. Um, so he's not a liability in any way on offense. So I think it's got to be House, personally. All right, two two quick things before I, I let you go here. Uh, the projected win total for the Rockets this season, 54.5. Are you taking the over or the under? How many wins do you think the Rockets get this season? Man, I'm always a pessimist when it comes to this stuff because people forget to account for things like injuries and for things like second nights of back-to-backs and stuff like that. Um, and also things like last night where, you know, James Harden picked up four offensive fouls in the first half on, in my opinion, questionable calls. Um, excuse me. So as a result of that, I'm going to take the under around 52. 52 wins. Okay, let's see. Let's see how that happens. I'm going to take the over. I just think that they're going to pull it off. Last question for you, Roosh Williams. Uh, before I let you go, Astros, are they going to pull it out in seven? I still got Astros in seven. Yeah, baby. Of course. Um, I Look, that's one team that, <clears throat> like I said, usually I'm a pessimist, but with that team specifically, we have seen them pull themselves out of holes. We've seen them beat the odds. Uh, championship DNA is a very real, prevalent thing, and they have it. They've been there before. Salute to the Nationals. They look like the better team right now, bar none. But, like I said, um, I've seen this team pull it out, so I still have faith in them. Um, I think that Grinky, going game three, I think he's going to feel more comfortable playing an NL team. And I think he's actually going to contribute a little bit with his bat. Um, if we get to a bullpen game in game four, I think that that favors the Astros. I don't expect the Nationals to go bullpen game. They'll probably throw one of their starters out there. But um, I think we can get to them. And then if you can even it up at 2-2, anything can happen. You can have Cole and Verlander ready to go. So that is my prediction. I'm sticking by the Astros. It feels very grim right now. Um, I'm very nervous about the game tonight, but I'm sticking with them. All right, there he is, Roosh Williams. You can follow him on Twitter for all his takes on the Houston Rockets and the Houston Astros, at Roosh Williams. That's R-O-O-S-H Williams. Uh, Roosh, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me, man. All right, talk soon. We'll be right back with more show.